We read from Galatians 1, verses uh, 11 to 24. That's page 1220 in your pew Bible. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Thank you, uh, Michael. What a, what a great passage we're going to look at this morning, friends. So I want to encourage you to please keep your Bibles open to, uh, to Galatians. And we'll also be referring to Acts uh, chapter 9, which was our previous uh, reading. So let, let me pray and we'll start. Lord, thank you, Father, once again for the opportunity to pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is given to us. It will not, uh, that it will not go void, Lord, that it will achieve its purposes. And we pray this morning that we will sit under this word, all of us, that your spirit will minister to us, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity, the freedom we have to proclaim this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, if you're visiting with us this morning and to those who are regulars here, we are working our way through the book of Galatians. As uh, very quickly, I would say that Paul uh, writes to a group of churches in Galatia, which is now Turkey. Uh, a serious problem had come into uh, the churches, come perhaps uh, from people in Jerusalem. Uh, they were saying, that is, this, this group who came in or uh, who kind of taught uh, things in the church, they were a group called the Judaizers. They profess to be, uh, to be believers in Christ, but we have seen so far that they distorted uh, the gospel. They wanted non-Jews uh, to be circumcised. Uh, they insisted that Christians, uh, Gentile Christians, had to hold to ceremonial laws the Jews, and they insisted in that sense a works-oriented gospel, essentially insisting that without such works, one cannot be saved. That is Christ plus something else. All right? So that's uh, the overall issues that's uh, facing these churches. And I mentioned last week and the week before as well, we cannot earn our way back to God. Can you? We cannot earn any points in terms of our salvation, as we will see. Salvation is a free gift, 
purchased and sealed by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Paul found it urgent, an urgent need to correct this false teaching that has come into the churches of Galatia. These teachers, it seems, were, were questioning the authority of the Apostle Paul and in, in, in that sense, questioning his very apostleship. And they were saying, you know, this guy Paul, well, he may be from Jerusalem, but really, can you trust him? Really, can you trust his message? We are the guys who are the real Jews, well, believe and trust us because we know what it is. Paul, well, really not sure about this guy Paul. Okay, so don't worry about Paul. Don't believe what he's saying. Just trust us. And so Paul defends his ministry. He defends the fact that he is an apostle. And then he gives also the authenticity to the gospel. And so for this morning, we're going to look at this text under three points very quickly, if we can. The authenticity of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the testimony of the gospel. All right? So by the end of this message, when you're leaving out the front door or after church, I'll ask you what are the three points. They will say just like that. Okay. All right, so the authenticity of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the testimony of the gospel. Well, friends, the authenticity of the gospel. Look at verse 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So before we look into... Uh, further as to what this gospel is. Let me state that this word gospel is made up of two Greek words, essentially meaning good news. In some, this word means good news or glad tidings. And so we've already established that this word gospel is good news to a broken world. And Paul says that this good news, this gospel, he did not receive it from any man. It is not man's gospel. And if it is not man's gospel, then whose gospel is this that he has received? What is the origin of this gospel? What is the origin of this good news? Was the gospel something that was invented by some human being or some other organization? Now Paul goes on to explain and give his readers brief exposition of the origin of the gospel, that it is not something from man that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel so clearly friends the gospel is god's good news to understand this better let me very quickly go through in the book of genesis because i think it's very important for us as believers as christians to understand the authenticity of this gospel right because we are put in our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes? And so we need to see what is the authenticity of this gospel. Why would I put my faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where is it coming from? Is it actually God's gospel? Really, what is the authenticity of this gospel? Am I, are we wasting our time this morning trust in a gospel that we think perhaps it's man-made. <laughs> but really, is it? See, when God created this world, everything was good. What a great God we have, yes? 
this God who has created this amazing world. What a great God that he has created us in his amazing image. Correct? That every single individual here is unique. Yes? We are a peculiar people. Did you get my joke? It doesn't matter. Right? That God has created each one with our own peculiarities, with our own DNA composition, with our own idiosyncrasies, with our own personalities, short, thin, small, whatever, that God has made us. And he has given us this life to live every day. Right? This, that's a bottle of water, don't worry about it. This life that God has given us to live every day. And this God has created us. And he has created us to have a relationship with him, the true and living and almighty, all-sufficient God. But we know from the book of Genesis that that relationship went sour. In fact, it was broken. Uh, we see that very clearly, don't we, in the book of Genesis, that God gives the command, Adam and Eve don't follow those commands, and then there is a consequence uh, for that. And uh, let me refer to that in Genesis 3.14. The Lord God, you know, the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve, fell into sin. And then verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, friends, before God pronounces his righteous judgment upon them, he curses the tempter. God cursed the serpent, was Satan, and the serpent will crawl upon the ground. It will crawl on its belly and lick dust. And the Lord pledges to put enmity between the serpent and the woman's seed. And so we see this great division between God's people and, and those who are not trusting this God. And so God gives the announcement of the first gospel, right? Between your offspring and hers, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his seal. That is referring ultimately to the cross of Christ. And what theologians have called proto-evangelium, which is the first gospel, is preached in the Garden of Eden. And that gospel is, has come from God himself. And so Paul is saying, he's saying here in the text here, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, the Greek word there would be in a tradition that has been passed on. Not just listening from others, but I've received this so-called tradition of this gospel that has been handed over. He did not receive it secondhand. He did not receive this gospel from any of the apostles or from a church council, nor from a theological college. He's eliminating the middleman or any source. I have received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. The point is that he has received this gospel by direct revelation from Jesus. Uh, one writer puts it this way. Jesus Christ took him under his own immediate tuition. Dr. Asis Prowl, the, uh, the Reformed theologian, says this in his book, I think it's an excellent read. I don't know whether we have it in the library. I'm sure our librarian will uh, try and get it. As is proud, actually, it's, it's a great read of getting the gospel right. And I was referring to, I was reading some sections of this book, actually, in preparing. 
for this message. And he says this, the gospel Paul is called to proclaim is not merely good news about God. Rather, the gospel is God's possession. It is his property. And in this regard, the original owner and author of the gospel is God himself. And so therefore, if you reject the gospel, what are you doing? You are rejecting whom? God. So if I'm saying this morning, and you're not a Christian here this morning, and I don't know where you stand with Christ, and if you are saying this morning, this gospel, this stuff that Chris is speaking about this morning, I don't have any time for this gospel. Then in effect, what am I doing? You're rejecting God himself who has given you good news. And friends, don't we all like good news? Anyone? I won't ask you to raise your hand. Anyone here does not like good news? Man, I, well, we all love good news, right? We put our TVs on. Have you noticed the, the, the kind of news items that come on every week, every day on our TVs? Somebody has been killed. Some mother has tried to do something to her children or Robberies, uh, carjackings, uh, we are all bad news items, don't we? At the start of the news bulletin, generally speaking, it's all bad news. And towards the end, they'll come up with some good news about some sport item or some cat has been rescued or something like that, right? To make the news a bit more better. <laughs> or that uh, uh, India thrashed Australia in the second test or something. It would be better if Sri Lanka actually does it. But, but the point is, you see what I'm saying? We live in a world of bad news most times. But there is good news, friends. And this good news has come from God who has made us and wants to have a relationship with you. Can you imagine that this God who has created the heavens and the earth wants to have a relationship with you and me? And he has provided a way for that in his son Jesus Christ? And what a tremendous blessing that is for us every day. Every day we get up as a Christian and we thank God, I thank you that you have made me in your image. You have sent your son for me and that you have redeemed me and you have given the best news ever for me to live. What a blessing that is. And so Paul says, I haven't received this from man. This is God's news for God's people. And it is good news. And it's not bad news. And so as we go on, we see the grace of God in the gospel. 13 to 17. Have a look in your Bibles. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. This is Paul speaking, right? How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. You see what Paul is doing here. Right? There were these Judaizers, remember? They had come into the church of Galatia. And they were saying, don't worry about Paul. We are the true Jews. We have got it all made. Paul, don't worry about him. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying here, you know, I have advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. In other words, those Judaizers... Those false teachers, they can't even come close to me. And why is Paul saying that? What was Paul's former life? What was it like? Well, Paul was known as Saul. 
We heard another Saul this morning, right? He was one of the most violent enemies of Christians. He attacked Christians and he was there with the stoning of the first Christian martyr by the name of Stephen. Right. And notice what we read in Acts chapter 26, 9 and 10. This is Paul. Have a, let's, let's see what it says there. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to, uh, to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Who was this? This is Paul. This is Saul the guy. I locked up many of the saints in prison. I, I was there, I put them to death, I cast my vote against them. And so this Paul was the opposer of Christians. And now have a look at this, friends, in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently to, and tried to destroy it. The word destroy in the original language means to overthrow. It means to, to bring about a change, to, to destroy, to annihilate it. The early church father, John Chrysostom, uh, speaking of this word to destroy, says this, it is an attempt to extinguish, to pull down, to destroy, to annihilate the church. This is Paul. So what was his task? Annihilate the church. I am going to do it, Paul says, as Saul. So what does he do, friends? That was his goal, to, extreme, to exterminate Christianity. And so he was advancing in Judaism. He knew the law. He knew the first five books of the Bible. He was a scholar. Uh, someone said um, that Paul, by the age of 21, would have had a PhD or perhaps even two. Right? Such was this guy. Educated man. Brilliant mind. We know his writings by God's inspiration in the New Testament, don't we? The book of Romans and all that. Do you find it easy? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? He's writing his stuff. Even, Paul, even Peter found it hard. He was more zealous than any Judaizers teaching another gospel. None of them can be compared to him. But friends, something happened to Saul. Something happened. Paul says this, verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with the brothers. Look at 16, 15 to 17. And then... This is what happens in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Have a, have a look what we have here. But when he was, uh, sorry, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. All right? And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And then, 
falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? It's interesting word in the Greek text. It's the word kurie, which means Lord. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Friends, we see something here that would have been amazing for a Pharisee to hear. A light that shone from heaven. Secondly, a voice from heaven. And thirdly, the voice that addresses the person by name. Saul, Saul. Do you see that? You see, this has a resemblance to the experience of Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 and 4. In Moses, let me read that. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to, to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And now in Acts chapter 9, there's a voice and he says, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And the voice could have replied, this is important, friends. The voice could have replied, I am God. All right? Think about it. And Paul would have been okay with that. I am God. But no, no. The voice replies and says, I am who? Uh -huh. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, friends, this is an important point. We live in a world today that people are very comfortable with the word God, right? So we can say, well, God said this, or we worship God, and this is our God, and we can use God in that sense. But the clarity of the gospel comes when you put the name of whom? Jesus in it. <laughs> With God, it can be pluralism or syncretism. That is, I think it's more syncretism. That is, you take all the syncretistic ideas of other faiths and you say, God. So everyone's quite happy because it's God. But the moment you put the name Jesus in there. It's a problem, right? So we are not allowed to pray, for example, in the name of whom? Of Jesus. But you pray the prayer in the name of God and you say, Amen. It's okay. See, Jesus, the word of God tells us that there's a clarity in this. That we worship God through whom? Please. Through Jesus. The only way to the Father is through faith in Jesus. You see, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it is Jesus that brings the clarity to this whole news of this gospel. And God and Jesus is saying here, you are persecuting me. Now, Paul was not, Saul was not persecuting Jesus. This is the risen Jesus. 
he was persecuting the church. And Paul and Jesus is saying, you are persecuting me. So get this, friends, that if you persecute the church, you are persecuting whom? Jesus. And so that's what we see here. And so Paul was immediately converted. And here is evidence of Jesus as the risen Savior. And I want to encourage us this morning, friends, to know that this Jesus is living, yes? And he reveals himself to us in his word. And some of us, were, none of us would have had this great experience on the road to Box Hill or somewhere where you have a light that shines and suddenly you're converted, right? I don't know, maybe it might happen to you. I'm not saying it can't, right? But the Lord has met us in our own journeys, right? Wherever it would have been, and he has revealed himself to you, whether it can be in Malaysia, or in Singapore, or in tiny little Sri Lanka, right? or somewhere else, that the Lord has revealed himself to you and made that gospel clear to you and brought you to faith in Christ. What a blessing. And what we see here this morning is amazing grace. And Paul's life was transformed and it is never the same again. Do you believe that? If you are a Christian here this morning, is your life the same as it was in the former life? Or is there a change? <laughs> well, there is a change, right? Because Christ has changed your life. He has transformed you. And he has blessed you. And he has made you his child. And he has brought you into salvation. And he has given you a new life. And that's what happened to Paul, to Saul. Going to kill people and being converted. And if the Lord can convert a guy like Saul, there is no terrorist and no politician or no social engineer, engineer that he cannot convert, right? No one is beyond redemption. So what's my task to do? What's our task to do? To pray for those who persecute the church, yeah? To pray for those who are against Christianity because the Lord can convert them. And I hear these things and it troubles my heart many times and I think about the church and I think about how small it is and everything that's going on in the Western world. But I take great comfort to know that the church is the Lord's. It's his business and he will do as he pleases. My task is to honor him by sharing and proclaiming the gospel. Yes? And that's your task as well. He will do it. Do you think, do you think the Lord can't bring revival to Australia like this? Do you think he cannot do it? He can sweep over this nation just like that. Yeah? Do you have confidence in this God? We do. That's the point, friends. God chose him. God called him. God revealed his son to him. And God called to preach the gospel. And so, this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul. We heard two testimonies this morning. What a great blessing that is. And then we see also the testimony of this gospel, don't we? As we see in verse 17 to the end there. Right. Paul is reiterating that he did not get his gospel from men. He goes to Arabia. We don't know what uh, th this going to Arabia has caused much discussion. I won't go into that this morning. The difficulty is that the, in the book of Acts, there is no mention of Arabia. Maybe this was a time that he spent in Arabia for a solitary time with God. We don't know. 
But then after three years, we read in verse 18, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter, remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Precise detail, precise detail. And so after three years in Arabia, that is three years after his conversion, he goes to visit Peter, stayed there 15 days. I wonder what kind of discussions Paul and Peter would have had. Imagine that, eh? Peter and Paul. <laughs> they would have had lots of theological discussions. We don't know. We can ask them one day, right? <laughs> when you see Peter and John one day in heaven, we'll ask them. What did you talk, brothers? Tell us. Give us some insights. The point is that Paul's first visit to Jerusalem as an apostle was after three years after his conversion. So hence, he's saying to these, these Judaizers, you know, this gospel I have received from, from the Lord himself. And then our text tells us he went out, uh, he went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. We know he was preaching this gospel. And then in verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And so Paul is moving from a persecutor to a preacher. From one who was lost to one who is found. And he's proclaiming this Jesus. What a testimony of this gospel, friends. And notice the text. It says at the end, verse 24. Just those few words there. And they glorified God because of me. I, I, I was looking at this, this, these last few words just there. It's powerful, isn't it? When people see our lives, do they see the gospel in you and me? Do they? Can they glorify God by seeing our lives? What kind of signals are we signaling from our lives? Yes? You know, like uh, uh, mobile phones. Wherever you go, you have your phone, they can track you down, right? Because it's constantly sending, I'm not an expert in this, I believe it's sending signals to the towers, right? So they can know where you are, generally speaking. You put your GPS, it's communicating all the time, right? What a great blessing those GPS things are. I was driving with someone on Friday night. This person said to me, I was a taxi driver before as a university student many years ago. And I said, how did you manage driving? The mailway. Remember the mailway? Now we have GPS systems. I remember when I first came from, from Sri Lanka, and I, I was in the country. I was no problems driving in the country. I dreaded coming to Melbourne as a minister because I thought, man, how am I going to find my way? The mailways, very hard work to do. The point is, friends, you know, what kind of signals are we signaling from our lives to the outside world? And I pray, I pray this morning that as God, as people see your lives and mine, they will say, in verse 24, like it's said of Paul, they glorified God because of me, because of the gospel that he went. Tim Keller says this, and we'll close after this, the, the gospel gives us a pair of spectacles through which we review our own lives and see God preparing us and shaping us even through our failures and sins to become vessels of his grace in the world. So, 
Do we this morning believe in the authenticity of this good news? Has your life been changed by the good news of Jesus? Has it? What is our testimony this morning? And I pray today that if you do not know this Jesus, if you do not know this Savior, that you will come to know him. And if you are a Christian here this morning, then I pray that the Spirit of God will empower you and encourage you from being, if I may say it this way, a sleepy Christian <laughs> to a vibrant Christian. From an armchair Christian to someone who is saying, I put my arms into the work. From a Christian who is sitting back and watching everything going past, I'll take it. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. You're doing everything around me. I'll just sit and watch the circus. I say to you, come on board. Because God has given you this gospel as a Christian and one life to live. Yeah? The other day on Friday, I stood outside here. Actually, I was meeting with uh, my brother John. Um, I was outside there, and I saw Tobin brothers. Um, I think I knew that guy who had done the funeral there. The hearse was parked just there with two other cars behind. Ah, for a moment, for a moment, I looked outside. I saw there. I think the guy knew me because he did a, put a wave. And I thought for a moment. Now, a day will come one day. I don't know where I'll die, but there will be a coffin. I'll be in a hearse. I don't know. Make a journey. But I said, Lord, every day, every day you give me, I want to live for you because you are everything to me. And when this earthly life has gone, as we sang in, in Amazing Grace, everything that has been done for Christ will last now and for eternity. May God use you. May God bless you. And say to the Lord this morning, you have transformed me by the gospel. I am yours, head to toe. Everything is yours. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray you'll encourage us to be gospel Christians, Lord. Thank you that the gospel changes lives. We thank you that it is authentic, it is powerful, and it is leaves a testimony in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.